Consensus Network. I wanted to share with those people that were like myself, that were in the altcoin space of why Bitcoin matters. I haven't read a lot of books that talk about the altcoin space. And so I, the book chronicles, here's what is interesting about the altcoin space, but here's ultimately why that stuff fails or why that stuff falls on its face. One of the biggest strokes of genius I think Mateo had when he was creating the app was creating a paywall. I would have never done that because I would have thought, wow, we're creating a social network. We need as many users as possible because then that will make more users come in. Mateo from the very beginning had this approach of quality over quantity. And that's just so in line with the Bitcoin ethos. It's like, I, I don't care if I have a million connections or not. I want a few really high quality, high signal connections. But guess what? When that happens, when you, when you create a few high quality connections, people see that and they want to be a part of that. And it actually grows and grows. And so we're seeing a pretty nice little uh, streak of growth right now because people are connecting through the app. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, a Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. Today, we're joined by Brian DeMint, author of Bitcoin Evangelism and Chief Marketing Officer at Orange Bill App. In today's episode, we dig more into how Orange Bill App is connecting Bitcoiners around the world, we discuss Bitcoin's marketing problem, and we hear about how Brian is spreading the Bitcoin message to no-coiners and alt-coiners through his book, Bitcoin Evangelism. Before we dive in, we'd like to quickly remind you that the best way to support the show is to send us a boost or stream us some sats using a value-for-value value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, check out Fountain if you haven't already. You can earn sats from listening to podcasts, and you can support your favorite shows through value-for-value. Value. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications so you never miss a weekly episode. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, and BitcoinBook.shop. All their information is in the description. We'll be talking a little bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here's Brian DeMint on the Freedom Footprint Show. Okay, welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show. Brian, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. This is that uh, long awaited. I've, I've honestly been excited about this one for a long time. We, we get to do a lot with the, with the book tour and stuff, but, uh, there's, there's certain shows that you just, you know, certain people you look forward to hanging out with. And, uh, you and I have gotten to do, uh, you know, we, we did, uh, a, a, a spaces or a, a live broadcast for something else, but yeah, looking forward to kind of being a little bit more focused attention today. That was a yeah. bigger, bigger group last time. So. Yeah, we've done a bunch of spaces together at this point, right? Um, yeah. Oh, the OBA spaces where you were, you, you usually host the Orange Pilaf Twitter spaces, and it's yep. always good fun to be in those. Uh, I don't know how you managed to find all those nice guests. I mean, <laughs> you know what? But, uh, it's, it's been, it's been nice because Orange Pilaf starting to get a little bit of its own reputation. And so I found that, uh, as long as I don't, reach out to them as myself. They don't, <laughs> they don't care when I reach out, but when Orangeville app reaches out, they think that that's interesting. Cause I, yeah, there's just, I think plenty of people have been sharing their experiences about meeting people on the Orangeville app. There was a, there was a couple that had a, 
at a meetup the other night. And so it's, I think people are hearing these organic stories about Orange Bill app and it's, it's kind of trickling up to, uh, you know, all sorts of different Bitcoiners. And so people are fascinated by what's going on. And that just gives us access to plenty of interesting people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, that, that's sort of what you do too. Like, Luke, you, you, uh, reach out to people as the freedom footprint show and <laughs> not as the Canadian Finn, I guess. Well, at least I can say I'm, you know, the co-host and producer of, of Knut Stonholm. It always helps when I name drop, but uh, yeah. Yeah. A uh, nice healthy good. name drop every once in a while. I'll never hurt anybody. Yeah. yeah. Knut's a pretty good name drop. Definitely. <laughs> Brian, can you, can you give us just like a, an intro on you, a TLDR, or like we like to say here, an R on yourself? I'll give you the R. Um, the, uh, yeah, so the TL, I don't think I've ever done anything that's TLDR. It's always, I always give the, the, it's going to be too long. You're not going to want to read this. So, um, but anyways, yeah, I, I, I've been in the, the Bitcoin space. I don't know. It's such a weird thing to say. Um, but for about 10 years, I think 2013, I started studying it. I, so I've been an entrepreneur since 2008 and, uh, there was these entrepreneurs, guys that I looked up to that were, that had bought a little bit of Bitcoin. And so I started studying Bitcoin. Honestly, as a skeptic, trying to tell them why they were idiots. It's like, I, I really respect you guys, but uh, why are you guys buying this funny money? Um, and so, of course, when you peel that onion back, and if you truthfully and, uh, you know, if you're rationally looking at these things, it tends to be very eye opening. I'd never ask the question, what is money? I never asked the question of how does our system work? How is currency created. I mean, you just, again, we've, we've all been through that process. And that was how that process unfolded for me was kind of coming at it from a skeptical lens. Um, so then, you know, there you know, a little shortly after started buying Bitcoin. Um, I wish somebody had told me about dollar cost averaging. I was pretty broke at the time because all my money was, was, was sunk into building my business. And so, uh, we, you know, wish, you know, wish I would have had plenty more uh, funds to be able to, to buy and dollar cost average at the time, but it just trickled in. And uh, went through my altcoin phase in that 2016-ish time, uh, worked on an altcoin project, was uh, was surrounded by guys that that genuinely had had good motives. So it wasn't like a, an outright scam on that front, but it was a it was a, I guess you could call it a, a centralized group of people that that didn't fully understand the 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 big umph to why Bitcoin mattered in, in, in decentralization. And so we could dive into some of the things that I got to experience through being in the marketing role for a blockchain project. Um, that was very eye-opening and it is leads to very compelling reasons of coming back to, to Bitcoin only. Um, so my, you know, my, my bell curve arc or whatever you want to call it was Bitcoin only, altcoin phase. And back here about, you know, 2019 uh, kind of landed back in the Bitcoin only space. And so uh, then wrote a book kind of to, to talk about some of my experience. I, I, I wanted to share, it's called Bitcoin evangelism. I wanted to share with those, of, those people that were like myself, that were in the altcoin space of why Bitcoin matters. I, I, I haven't read a lot of books that, talk, that are Bitcoin only books that talk about the altcoin space. I think one of the things I was getting from my altcoin friends was that Bitcoiners just don't understand the altcoin space. Therefore, we're, you know, we were people that bought Bitcoin a long time ago. And so we're just hoping that Bitcoin works. And that was the only reason that we were pro Bitcoin or Bitcoin only. And so I, the book chronicles, here's what is interesting about the altcoin space, but here's ultimately why that stuff fails or why that stuff falls on its face. So it, it takes a very soft approach to it. 
um, but ultimately leads the reader back to a Bitcoin only uh, approach. So I guess the hope with the book is if somebody's going to go through it as opposed to doing what I did and going through you know, your Bitcoin phase, your altcoin phase, and then coming back to Bitcoin, hopefully you could read this book and then experience that entire process before having ever gone through your altcoin phase. Um, and then that in the, in the process of doing my book tour and, and just networking and meeting people, I got to get in touch with Orangeville app and I just signed up for Orangeville app as a user when they launched at Pacific Bitcoin, Mateo just gave me the pitch and I was sold on the idea. I said, you know, this is a, I believe that this is a critical piece of Bitcoin's future. I think that we need something like this in order to facilitate this social layer for Bitcoin. And so that's what got me involved in the, the Orangeville app side of things. Yeah, and the Orange Pill app is, is way more than just the app. Like, uh, now this sounds like a shameless chiller, but, but having, uh, having been a, um, an advisor for the Orange Pill app for a while now and uh, seen what it can do and how it brings people together, it's, it's truly remarkable. And also like how, how we, uh, how the, it brings Bitcoin company people together and all the synergies with, with Fountain App, for instance, which we mm -hmm. had a spaces with the other day, and uh, all sorts of collaborations, not least with the Consensus Network in my book. So I, I know I'm biased saying this, but but uh, but these are not the only companies and not the only people in this. It's uh, you can truly see the power of this thing. It's bringing all sorts of Bitcoiners together, and it's it's very nice. And uh, I think you're a very good spokesperson person for the. Uh, Orange Pill app. Uh, I mean, it's, it's good to have a, a a clear voice instead. Uh, uh, instead of just Matteo going, uh, you need to download the Apple. <laughs> I mean, I love Matteo and everything he does, but uh, but uh, it's good that you're in the space too, and and uh, such a good uh, host of all of these spaces and um, um, whatnot and whatever's coming down the the pipe for Orange Pill app. And I'm looking forward to to see where where we can take this thing and what, to, what it can do. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's, it's really exciting to be a part of this team. I mean, that, that, that honestly was a big part of, aside from just seeing the vision of what Orange Pop could be, Mateo had assembled a, a pretty amazing group of advisors with you and Daniel Prince and Sessions and all these guys. So, for for him, the the pitch to me was, hey, do you want to come work with Orangeville app? And I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, absolutely. I get to work with these guys and do a monthly meeting and and talk to some of these people that I get to you know pick their brains and here being a, an, an upstart Bitcoin author. And I get to talk to Canute about, I mean, again, you get your books in the background here. It's like, these are books that I've read myself and that I found inspiration. in. so that there was a lot of value added to me. Um, but one, I'd say one of the coolest things, like you said, that we get to work with these other Bitcoin companies that are building in the space. And uh, I found myself, even though I've always understood from an early, early time of being in Bitcoin that I need to lower my time preference, when you build in Bitcoin, when you're when you're creating something in Bitcoin and, and working in that space, you lower your time preference even more. I found that that I was finding out from other people in conversation that the Bitcoin price was up on a certain day, and I, it's like, wow, I didn't, I I don't check the Bitcoin price, uh, you know, forty times a day like I used to because I've been so focused on just pushing the social layer of Bitcoin. Like, how do we make more connections? That was those were the metrics that I started. Um, I guess finding finding excitement in my days. Like, how many books did I sell? Okay, great. That means that there's X amount of more people that are potentially getting Orange Pill today. How many more people signed up for Orange Pill app 
That's great because there's that many more social connections. Those were the metrics that I was constantly refreshing on my phone rather than the Bitcoin price. And so um, it's it's been very refreshing talking to other people in the space like you. You're constantly talking about how to lower our time preference. I mean, what, if this thing takes a thousand generations, we should consider that a success. Um, and that's the mindset that I think is is very important to have. And we're, you know, we're, we're, I'm getting a lot of that from working with Fountain and working with Geyser Fund. These companies aren't talking about what we're going to do today or tomorrow. They're talking about what we're going to build for the, for the next 10 years. And let's, let's have a longer time horizon that way. So it's been very helpful for me in a pragmatic sense. Another thing, yeah, just to give a, a shout out and a mention to B2C Map and Nathan, uh, who's, uh, building this wonderful, map of where wherever the Bitcoin retailers and the Bitcoin ATMs and whatever are. Uh, there's been a whole bunch of such services in the past, but none of them have, have been very e- easily integrated into other websites and uh, other apps. And um, BTC Map is wor- working closely with Orange Bill apps. You can, you can get all the Bitcoin locations, so to speak, uh, in directly in the app. So it's, it's, it feels like an app that's Putting it all together, uh, laying yeah. the final piece of the puzzle in a way. Well, yeah. And, and about 20 minutes ago, I just got off a phone call with uh, Texas Slim. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he runs the Beef Initiative. Um, oh, yeah. And so we're, we're yeah, we're, we're partnering with them in some capacity. Um, so we're, we're obviously promoting their events through the app. Um, we're not promoting, we're just posting them through the app and then they can promote them. We're going to you know, obviously retweet and share those events. But I went out to the Georgia Beach Beef Initiative um, last year and that was great. I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's very in line with what we're trying to do through Orangeville app is facilitating in real life connections. And so they're, they're getting consumers to go and shake. That's their, that's their whole, you know, catchphrase is shake a rancher's hand, go and meet the rancher, go and meet the guy that's growing your food or, or harvesting, whatever it is, and actually look them in the eye, shake their hand and you have this connection. That's going to be much more difficult for for any encroachment of, of tyranny or legislation to break. When you've made a personal connection, um, it's it's much more difficult to shut that down rather than if you have simply an online connection. And then all they need, you know, all the the bad guys need to do is shut down their online store or you know pause their store for some reason. Then you have no you no longer have a connection. But but if I have a if I have if there's a street that I can take to go to my rancher and pick up my food. That's a much more difficult bond to break. And so those are, those are some of the partnerships we're working on right now with Orangeville app. Um, and it's really cool to see somebody like Texas Slim, who I've met before, but I said, you know, how familiar are you with Orangeville app? He's like, oh my gosh, we were just, I was out in Australia and we were talking about that at the Australian Bitcoin conference. And, you know, it, people are getting really excited about this, this, uh, this tool that we have at our disposal to connect with people. People see the value of the in real life connection. Um, one of the most biggest, or one of the biggest strokes of genius I think Mateo had when he was creating the app was creating a paywall. Like I would have never had the foresight if I was creating a social network to have a paywall. For those that don't know, the app costs three bucks a month, but it's the best three dollars, three dollars you'll ever spend because it filters out any bots, noise, or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, I would have never done that because I would have thought, wow, we're creating a social network. We need as many users as possible because then that will make more users come in. Mateo, from the very beginning, had this approach of quality over quantity. Um, and that's just so in line with the Bitcoin ethos. It's like, I, I don't care if I have 
a million connections or not. I want a few really high quality, high signal connections. Um, but guess what? When that happens, when you, when you create a few high quality connections, people see that and they want to be a part of that and it actually grows and grows. And so we're seeing a pretty nice little, uh, streak of growth right now because people are connecting through the app. I was out at the, the Swan salon at, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And they had, you know, it was this really posh house where Swan hosts their private event for, for their, for their high net worth investor people or whatever. Um, and I, I was talking to a guy, JD from Cypherpunk Films and he, he had his friend there and I said, Oh, Hey, and he said, this is my friend, Derek. I'm like, Oh, great. How'd you guys meet? He goes, we met on Orange Pill app an hour before this event. <laughs> I had a plus one ticket and I didn't have any Bitcoiners that wanted to come with me. So I went into Orange Pill app and found this guy that lives kind of in my neighborhood. And uh, I just messaged him and said, "Hey, do you want to come to this event?" And I said, "Oh, you, you know, you you trusted that? That's that's wh why did you feel so confident that you could go pick up a stranger in your car? You just pulled up out in front of his house. You de you, you DM'd him and said, "Hey, I'm here. What made you feel comfortable with that interaction?" He goes, "Because I knew they were a Bitcoiner." Just <laughs> he goes that it, it created this. There was this curation process that happened where I had no problem picking up this dude and taking him to this event right when I met him because we've been able to interact within the B the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, so it's, it's very interesting seeing how these, these real life connections are, are playing out that are, that are manifesting through a social network. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this before. I think that this is going to be uh, a use case that's talked about in textbooks for years to come. And I can say that because I didn't create the app, so I don't get to take any of the credit for it. But I think that the, the business textbooks of the future will, will write about this is like, how do you start a social network with a paywall? It could only happen in the Bitcoin ecosystem because if you try to start TikTok with a paywall, that demographic doesn't understand value for value, right? But Bitcoiners inherently understand value for value and, and why it's worth paying for something um, to get something more out of it. So it's been very interesting to have a front row seat to this. Yeah, fascinating. It's uh, valuable value is substituting attention for attention, I guess. <laughs> Or attention for ad revenue. <laughs> yeah, and it's beautiful. Um, absolutely. Yeah, the Swan event, uh, event was that the one in Miami or another event? So this was a so this was one in Southern California. They do all right, all monthly right. yeah, yeah, yeah meetups and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I attended some Swan party in in Miami. This, this by the way, this is recorded between uh, the Miami conference and the Prague conference, which is next week. So uh, me and Luke will be in Prague and try to try to do some stuff there. But I guess this episode will be released after Prague. So there's no use in chilling that, right, Luke? <laughs> no, uh, we're actually really trying to build up a big, uh, big backlog because we've got a busy summer. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Prague's going to be really cool. I mean, yeah. Brian and uh, and I think a lot of the American Bitcoiners in general, I, I think you should try and make it out to to the European conferences if you can. Yeah. It's it's a different vibe. I think. Have, have you been out to any of the European events? Mm -mm. No, I've actually you, never been to Europe before. So sorry, I feel like oh. kind of ashamed of that. You should grab a ticket to Honey Badger. Come yeah, see yeah. There. That's a pure yeah. signal event. That yeah. Really? Yeah. Riga in the beginning of September. You should Beautiful. look into that. Uh, okay. It's one of our favorite conferences. We'll be there. If not, if not our favorite conference. Uh, mm. It's where we're at first time. Yeah, it's where, yeah. and it's where, sort of where my Bitcoiner career, quote unquote, took off. Uh, I brought 50 books in my hand luggage uh, in 2019 to Riga. And that's where it all started. 
Why do you think those European events are like so high signal? Um, I mean, well, you could argue that in the U.S. that 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 that's maybe not the case. It depends on the event. Uh, um, but yeah, why? I, I think the Amer- American culture is much more, and I guess especially after 1971, I should add that. But it's uh, a much more. Uh, it re- it revolves around advertisements a lot, uh, and that's not the case in Europe uh, to to the same extent. So so it's this. In a way, fiat mindset where you need to move fast and break things and just push your products uh, as much as you can and the big strobe lights and banners and stuff everywhere. Uh, you need to make as much noise as possible to get people's attention. And Europe is a little different. I guess also the in the US, like Bitcoin Miami is the biggest conference and it's sort of also, uh, it claims to be a Bitcoin only conference, but it's really uh, a Bitcoin and uh, a couple of shitcoins conference. Uh, it's very inclusive like that. And uh, that's all nice and friendly, but it keeps the noise louder in essence <laughs> relative to, to the signal. And I think in, in, in Europe that the conferences are more separate. So there are Bitcoin only conferences and then the crypto blockchain, whatever shit conferences. Um, uh, on the side. So, so, uh, yeah, uh, maybe that's just me being ignorant about other American conferences. I don't know how many mixed coin conferences there are. If there, I, I hear Bitblock Boom is quite high signal. And, uh, also, of course, the, the Pacific Bitcoin that that's higher in, in terms of Bitcoiner to shitcoiner ratio during the conference. Yeah. I mean, then again, Miami is great because the Miami conference is great because of all the side events as well. It creates mm-hmm. a, a, since it's so big, it creates this, these sub communities around, around the, the conference. I remember w- when I landed in Miami, the first thing I did was, I, yeah, I, I bumped into Andy Edstrom and then we waited for his luggage for a while and I just took a cab straight to this, uh, kill your idol rock venue where I was doing the Satoshi Rokamoto thing. So I just gave my luggage to, to Muzz and uh, he said, dude, you need to go up on stage. And I, I went up on stage and grabbed a guitar or a bass or something and played a couple of songs. And uh, yeah, when I finished playing a couple of songs, I went out on the street again and there was my luggage under a table on the streets. So like, ah, we need to put this somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. And uh, yeah. So, but but that uh, event was pretty successful. So we're uh, <laughs> for some odd reason because I I thought we played all the the wrong notes and none of the good the right notes. But uh, people seem to have enjoyed it anyway. So we're doing it again in Prague now, uh, oh, that's cool. and that's really uh, yeah. So looking forward to that a lot uh, with a slightly different band. But uh, yeah, well, I was, it's I was be in great. the audience. I was in the audience for that. I, I, you know, <laughs> that was that was uh, that was such a boss move, man. It's like, uh, where, where's Canute? Oh, I heard his flight's just getting in. Okay, cool. And then there's Canute, and he just walks up on stage and starts <laughs> just rocking out. It's like, this is how he says hi. He just comes up on stage and just starts killing it on the guitar. So no, man, that, that was really cool. No, but I'm, I'm living the meme and the dream at the same time here. I'm doing all the things that I wish I was doing when I was 26 and I'm now 46 and I'm, it's actually happening. It's, yeah. To me, it's just a dream come true to, to be able to go to Miami and go straight to rock venue and play a couple of riffs. <laughs> that was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. 
Uh, about your book, uh, Bitcoin Evangelism, you say that it's for um, it's for shit coiners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is so, that so, the is that the target audience for it, or like so? Yeah, I mean, Brian, that they can use a different word than you to refer <laughs> to. Um, <laughs> Hey, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm going to call it shit pointers. Yeah. yeah, you can call it that. That's I, I have no problem. I just don't like cuss. I don't know what it is. I just, I just, I'm not, I'm not a swearer. Which just was was raised that way. Um, so I just say all coin, but I, I used it in select, uh, in select occasions. But, anyways, yeah. I mean, so the the whole concept of evangelism it, it harkens back to Christian evangelism. So it was like well, Christian evangelism, whether you find merit in that or not, it, it was one of the most successful, successful movements of all time. And it was, it was because they had a really good formulated message for two groups of people, right? There was the atheist and then there was the pagan. So there was the person that didn't believe. And then there was the person that believed in a higher power or deity, but they believed in, you know, some variation of, of God or gods or whatever. It's like that's kind of what we have here in the in the Bitcoin space. We have that we have the no coiner, we have the skeptic, and so there there needs to be a, a, an argument formulated for them. And then we have the altcoin pagans uh, that that believe in you know they believe in blockchain, but they believe in some variation, or they believe that you know uh, you know decentralization doesn't matter. But what we really need is speed and scalability and those sorts of things. So being able to speak to those two types of people, I think is is powerful, and I think that. If we want the Bitcoin community, maybe the lowest hanging fruit for bringing Bitcoiners or, or, or increasing the amount of Bitcoiners in the world is just orange pilling the crypto community uh, because they're people that that are fascinated by uh, maybe a change in, in you know a paradigm shift in terms of money or value transfer. Um, some of these people are just in it to get rich quick, and so if you, if that's all they care about, then. And yeah, I guess the the merits of Bitcoin aren't necessarily going to appeal to them um, because yeah, I don't we don't take much of approach of of talking about this is why Bitcoin's going to go to the moon, um, and so maybe that's that's the only thing that they're on you know crypto Twitter for. But if they do care about a, a fundamental change in the way that value is transferred, um, I've talked to plenty of friends of mine that are really into Solana because they really are intrigued by the by by the movement of DeFi. All right. Well, let's let's break that down and, and and fully understand what what that means. And then most of the guys that I know that are on Solana, they don't understand that it's been fifty one percent attack multiple multiple times, and so they they don't realize how how vulnerable their their money or their funds are. And so just walking through that process is really important. And then even sharing some of my experiences from when I was the 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 marketing guy for a blockchain project. Like I was saying earlier, there's some experiences in there that were pretty eye opening. I mean, so. Kind of like how I, I'm in my role in marketing right now for Orangeville app. I was I was in that similar role for this this blockchain project called Athenium, and it was a education decentralizing education, right? Like that's what blockchain oh, yeah. <laughs> blockchain projects. You take something, take lemonade stands, and we're going to decentralize lemonade stands or yeah. <laughs> whatever X Y Z. So that that was kind of our mission at the time, right? Well, you can imagine every day that I would wake up, I would have. 10 DMs in my inbox from another blockchain project saying, Hey, we're XYZ coin. Let's announce a partnership with you guys. And then we'll, we'll pump it. And that's, I mean, they were literally just messages about pumping and dumping and, and scamming their, scamming their groups of people. So I think it's really important for, for people to understand that when they're buying into these projects, the, the, the people that you're buying these coins from are actively pursuing 
a scam of your money. They're li- they're actively trying to siphon off your money. And I think that most people don't understand that 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 humans would do that to one another. <laughs> it's crazy. And to us, it's it, it's it's obvious, right? We we know that there's scammers out there, but most people think that the blockchain space is like this altruistic playground of of people being, you know, seeing, you know, sunshine and rainbows and lollipops and all that kind of stuff. And so the naivety in that space is pretty high. And so just even sharing some of those stories about overt scams is is really powerful. But one of the most eye-opening things that I saw um, after I'd been asked a thousand times to try and pump and dump our coin, which we never did. We, we never did on our side of it. We actually had people that that weren't, weren't of that mindset. I actually went to one of the, the exchanges that we had our coin listed on. It was one of those small exchanges, C Paytex or one one of the one of the the, the the exchanges that's probably blown up by now. But I, it was it was late one night, and there was about two hundred dollars worth of our coin on this exchange. We had the, our coin was uh, AEM was the name of the coin, and I bought all two hundred dollars worth of the coin. I said, I wonder what happens. If I buy up all the liquidity of this coin and now there's no liquidity on the market, what happened was I bought the $200 with the coin. They were all two cents per coin. And then what I did was I sold the next coin to myself. So wash traded it to myself. I didn't even have to log in and, and go into a different account. I was able to create a sell order and then buy it through my exact same account. And I, I sold the next coin to myself for a dollar. So I 50x the price of the coin in one sell by selling it to myself. And I said, okay, that's interesting. If 50x the, the, the price on this one exchange, right? That was it. No, no, no. I went to CoinGecko. I went to CoinMarketCap. And our coin went from number 1,300 in the world to number 400 in the world in one sell for $1. Our market cap increased by $5 million. According to these websites, it aggregated across the entire internet and it told everybody that the new price of this coin is now $1 because I sold one coin to myself for $1. So the the market increased by $5 million by the sale. And I know this because I saw it. It was me. I did it myself. The market increased by $5 million because of the sale of a $1 coin. I sold it back. I I created equilibrium in the market. I just did that as an experiment and I put it back to where it was. The next day I resigned and I focused on Bitcoin only education. I said, this is way too, I had no idea. I knew that there, there might be problems in the market. I had no idea it was that fickle of a market that $5 million could move off of a $1 transaction. Yeah, but this is why the Bitcoin dominance index is such a bullshit metric because all of the other ones like the way they calculate the market cap is ju- just how d- you described it. Like they issue, they they sell one coin for a dollar and then they issue a billion coins and all of a sudden you have a billion dollar market cap. And it's all bullshit. It's it's not because they actually sold a billion dollars at all. They sold one dollar. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, more often than not to themselves in, in one way or another. Yeah. And yeah. so, so we, yeah, I... I I get that you've been working with a lot of sincere people in the altcoin space, and I think I think that a, a huge chunk of the people working with uh, altcoins, for lack of a better word, or there is a better word, but anyway, uh, you can say it. I'm not offend- <laughs> I'm not offended by hearing it. No, but I, I don't want to offend them. It's that uh, it's that there's always an asshole on top, for lack of a better word. Uh, uh, with all of these projects, there's always someone who knows what's going on, and that person. Because they, they, they must have, you know, at some point 
stumbled upon Bitcoin. To be in the altcoin space, quote unquote altcoin space at all, you need to know about Bitcoin. Like you need to, you need to at least have heard of Bitcoin. And if you've done the tiniest amount of research, you realize that there can be only there can be only one that doesn't really have anyone on top. And furthermore, the decentralization uh, part. As you say, they want to decentralize shoes and, and uh, you know, hairdresser education and whatever. Decentralization in Bitcoin is an unfortunate means to a greater end and nothing more. The only, it, it is unfortunate that we need decentralization because the only reason we do is because we can't trust one another with money with, or with a money printer. It has never worked in history. The, the, the guy with the money printer, it, can never resist the temptation to press the copy button. And that is the problem with all, with all money uh, throughout history. And so, so, uh, or with all currencies throughout history. So that's the problem we're trying to solve uh, through, uh, by using decentralization. But what we want, what we want to get to is sound money that is censorship resistant and no one can do anything about and no one can take away from you by force very easily because they cannot know how much you have. And that is the greater end. And it has nothing to do with decentralization. It has everything to do with markets and uh, meritocracies and, uh, you know, fairness, truth, all of this stuff. So, uh, yeah, we this was in our conversation with Alexander Bard as well, uh, Luke, how, how uh, Bitcoin, because it, Speaking of evangelism, excuse me for get, going on a little rant here, Brian, but but I, I I get some some nice ideas here. Like the the uh, so some people view Bitcoin as a religion, and uh, that's all fine. And some people view it as a cult, and that's also fine. I find it more uh, to be the, that what we're living in now is the cult because what we're living in now requires belief, and Bitcoin doesn't really require belief it's very rigid and it's very it's all about the logos uh, and uh, the logos being that it's all ones and zeros and it's all communication and you can look up every step of it and you don't have to trust anyone really if, if you do your homework uh, in all these little sub caverns of the rabbit hole so, so in that sense, I, I view it as financial atheism, as I wrote in my first book. Like, do you, uh, that, that's another angle on this. That we're, we're the ones breaking out of a cult, not the ones in a cult. Uh, however, that's sort of hard to promote to when 99% of the population is still in the cult. So it's, maybe it's better to, to take the other angle, uh, as, as split feelings about that. But in that sense, I feel that Bitcoin is using this ultimate logos to create the the pathos and the mythos which is the the other two aspects of the human psyche so we get we get to morality and spirituality through having perfect logic <laughs> so we're using logic to create the other two and that's what i find so so wonderful about it uh, one of the aspects of it because it creates uh something out of nothing for lack of a better phrase uh it creates uh, when you have truth in the base layer of, of just just like your story with the guy that picked up a newfound friend by Orange Bill app to the Swan Party, uh, when you have truth in the base layer of who we are, uh, then it's much easier to to trust other people. 
Because you know, if they're a true Bitcoiner, they have good intentions. They don't have these shitty shitcoin intentions. So, so, so that's that's what I find. The the duality of that having this uh, absolute truth in the base layer enable or that you can verify every step of the base layer that this adversarial thinking in the base layer that enables this truth layer, which enables trust between people on the other side of the coins. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in, in praxeology, you talk a lot about axioms and, and things that we can, that, that are apparent, right. That, that can lead to human action. Um, what I was thinking about this on the plane ride home is, is how, there's a tremendous amount of centralization when I was sitting on the plane. I'm like, there's a tremendous amount of centralization in this plane. There's a hundred of us on the plane. There's two pilots in the front. Why, why do I actually trust this centralization right here? <laughs> because I was just at a conference where all we talked about was decentralization. Why does this work in this case uh, that a that hundred people are trusting too? It's because there's aligned incentives, right? And so my, my human action, I, I, I can get on a plane and be comfortable in that interaction because I, I believe that those pilots want to get home to their families in the same way that I want to get home to my family. But as soon as incentives become disaligned, then, then, then centralization and, and power no longer works, right? And so across an economy, across especially the globe, we can't, we can't really, we, we've never really had a good way to align incentives. And you know, until something like Bitcoin, where we can veris- verify every every process, every step of the transaction, we don't have to trust, we can verify. So I no longer have to trust that the pilot wants to get home to his family. I, I no longer have to trust that the central banker has my best interest in mind. I can just verify that, that, the, that the greedy miner that's trying to mine Bitcoin because he wants to enrich himself, I can trust in the fact that, well, while he's enriching himself by mining, He's securing my Bitcoin and therefore I'm benefiting from that interaction. Um, it, it, the, the incentives become aligned through, through self-motivation in the same way that the pilot, his, his self-motivation to get home, it, it aligns with my self-motivation to get home. And so I think that the Bitcoin's found a way and that's probably the best part of the revolution is that it, it was the first time that, that humanity found a way for the monetary system to align incentives with people that have completely different motivations. Um, and so that's, that's, yeah, I, I think that that's yeah, fascinating the, the, in terms of how you're talking about the logos leading to the yeah. spiritual side. It, it's, it's sort of what, what money is supposed to do, but has never been able to do because money has always been corrupted. So like with the, with the airplane and the airline and the airports and everyone involved, the thing we trust is the division of labor because we do, we trust the pilots to drive the plane. We trust the CEO of the airline company to run the company and we trust the the barista in the airport to make our coffee and so on. And that's beautiful. It's the division of labor. Uh, however, if that, if that mechanism, uh, gets distorted by crappy money and doesn't function anymore, then, then we have to resort to, to, uh, to trust the pilot not wanting to kill himself. Like here. <laughs> then again, the pilot has to trust the, the, the fuel guy to have. Uh, you know, top really have topped up the plane so that we can get to our destinations and stuff. But yeah. but the uh, the more fiat gets corrupted, the the harder it will become to trust the pilots to mm. do uh, to do his job for for the proper reasons. And the more we have to trust him to just not crash the plane because <laughs> he has an incentive to survive. <laughs> yeah. 
that's yeah. that's the doom and gloom, uh, the doom and gloom motive versus the uh, the market motive. I, I like I like yours. Yours is a bit more optimistic. <laughs> the division of labor is much more compelling than that. I just don't want to die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, fiat makes us believe in a way that that everyone is just in it for the I do, I just don't want to die thing and are willing to do whatever for money. Mm. And on the Bitcoin standard, that that is not necessary anymore, because once you're above a certain threshold, nobody knows what that threshold is, by the way. But you can you can be sure that if you just don't spend it all, it will provide you with all the security you need for the future, mm. making making each human being a much calmer, much more, you know, at ease person that that is just better to interact with, mm. <laughs> as we know. I agree. Today's show is brought to you by our sponsors. First up, Orange Pill App. Stack friends who stack sats, meet like-minded Bitcoiners near you, and help speed up hyper-Bitcoinization with Orange Pill App. Bitcoin isn't an online-only phenomenon, and Orange Pill App helps facilitate the social layer, connecting Bitcoiners in their local area. It maintains your privacy through the whole process, and since you have to pay to access the app, you know that everyone there cares about Bitcoin and is high signal. A great new feature is events. You can create events and meetups right from the Orange Pill app and help build your local community while maintaining the Bitcoin-only signal. Orange Pill app is available on iOS and Android. Download now. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, an open-source, non-custodial desktop wallet that is trustless, easy to use, and affordable. It has CoinJoin built in to facilitate your privacy. Every Bitcoin transaction leaves a clear footprint, but with Wasabi, you can make sure that others can't track your steps and threaten your sovereignty. Just send your coins to Wasabi Wallet, wait, and your coins will be private on the other end. It's open source, trustless by design, and non-custodial. You have full control over your keys. Check it out now at wasabiwallet.io. Right, I'd like to hear a little bit more about, since you have a background in, in marketing, uh, I guess I've kind of got two questions. I'll start with I'll start with the first one. So, how did you get into marketing? How did that turn into the the role that you you tend to have these days? Um, well, I uh, in college I I didn't study marketing. I I studied something that uh, Knut would call a fake science. Of I studied psychology. I having I wouldn't having, say that. <laughs> Having studied psychology and, and gotten a degree in, in human behavioral science, I think that that uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where perhaps I would have done something different in hindsight uh, if, if I'd known the conclusion of it. But it did uh, it did grant some some or it did lend itself to the the field of marketing. So after college, I actually went in and started. Uh, my wife and I started a business. Um, we 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 do we've been running it for the last fourteen years. We do a light therapy. Uh, we have a small chain of light therapy studios. So we do infrared sauna, red light therapy. I don't know. These things are becoming popular now. Um, but when we started, they certainly weren't popular. We even do uh, like vitamin D sunbeds. There's people that, believe it or not, even in Southern California, don't get sunshine. And so their doctors have them come in and, and get sunshine. So it was this, I think I really was able to sharpen my teeth a bit um, in a field and starting a business that was kind of this holistic type of business where uh, people were treating aches and pains, um, people that were looking to get off their prescription meds and maybe treat their arthritis through infrared sauna. Um, how do you, when, when the paradigm of society is you have a pain and you take a pill, 
it's really hard to unwind some of that thinking. And so here, here, instead of taking the pill, it's going to make you feel good in about five minutes. Here, let's, let's do this therapy. That's going to take you a month to start feeling good. And it's going to take a month for you to, to kill your inflammation. But I promise you in the end, you might not ever need that pill again. Cause we might, we might not cure, but we might treat the underlying cause of your problem and fix it in the long term. So from, from even when I was still in my fiat mindset, when I was in, you know, pre Bitcoin, I was marketing a business that, that had low time preference. And so I've just been programmed with this idea that if something is true, then we just continue to champion it and talk about its merits because there will always be a portion of the population that's interested in that. People are drawn to truth. Um, there's people that are actively trying to suppress truth, but even just like in, in, in psychology, we, we know all the time, the things that we're trying to suppress are often the things that we're wrestling with the most, right? So our culture is in this state of suppressing truth, but I think it's because young people or the, the TikTok generation, they're trying to suppress truth so much because it weighs on them so heavily. So I think that in the end, marketing and championing these things, that there's, there's, I don't think there's any secret sauce to this. It's, it's the same if we're promoting Bitcoin. It's the same if we're promoting holistic treatments of to, to, you know, to treat, you know, your whatever, your vitamin D deficiency. All of these things are kind of the same way is this stuff works if you stay the course. If you're looking at a short-term fix, this isn't for you. But if you're looking for a long-term remedy, then this is the way you want to go. And so just being honest and tipping your cards, the, the greatest piece of, of business advice that I, I think I ever give to people is don't hold your cards close to your vest. In business negotiations or whatever I've done in the past, when I just lay everything out and I tell somebody in a business negotiation what I want and what I need, and I ask them, what do they want and what do they need? If we just lay the cards out on the table, I found that the best business negotiations happen. It's the, it's the most mutually beneficial exchange that we could possibly have by telling the other person what I need and them telling me what I, what, what they need. Um, and being honest in the fact that if, if what I'm providing to them isn't a short-term fix, is it isn't, Hey, this isn't going to fix what you need right now. But if you, if you stick with me, we can get you there. Um, people love authenticity. And so to me, that's the most powerful form of marketing ever is, is being authentic. And I think that that's why it didn't work out for me being in the crypto space. That was just, it was a, it was a natural filtration process that the crypto space kicked me out because I didn't like my, 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 my message wasn't received by taking a long-term approach to things. Um, and so I, that's why Bitcoin, the gravity of Bitcoin drew me back in was because I like long-term, real, authentic truth. And, uh, that's what brings me here today. Yeah. You know, you've, uh, uh, you said a lot of really good things. So I feel bad for, uh, for steering in this direction specifically, but you, you, uh, you, you do infrared sauna only? Yeah. Uh, no, so we do, it's a, it, the three, three spectrum infrared. So I don't know. Are you familiar okay. with, it sounds like, you know, you're in like a little bit about infrared stuff. Well, uh, I'm, I'm just saying I, I've, I've got a traditional sauna 10 meters that way. And, uh, <laughs> you, you know, the, the one where you pour the water on the stove and everything, yeah. you don't do that one. We don't do the stone one. Um, we like it pretty much every gym that that's in my area in California, they, they do, they do the stone saunas. And so yeah. we actually just have a, a, a lot more people that gravitate towards the infrared. Um, it tends to be a little bit quicker. Um, you start the infrared light penetrates your body a little quicker. So you, you tend to get a little bit, uh, uh, 
more bang for your buck in terms of a 15 or 30 minute treatment. Mm. Um, and, and there's some other effects that come along with infrared light aside from just the heat benefits. So, uh, okay. now we, of um, course this is leading to people getting into yeah. cold plunges and all this kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, we, right, we got all come, sorts of hippies. Come to Finland sometime and we'll actually yeah. ask that, but I know it sounds very good. I, and I'm sorry about this next question, Brian, but I can't help myself. But did they tell you about the placebo effect in psychology class? <laughs> they sure, they sure did. We we learned about that a lot. Yeah, you, you're you're not a you're not a holistic guy. You got we got well, a fiat well, pillar. Look, look. Uh, the thing is, I'm skeptic to everything, so I, I don't believe in alternative medicine. And for the most part, I don't believe in traditional medicine either. So, because I think it's all, most of it is placebo. Fair enough. Fair and, enough. And to be fair, the placebo effect works and the, the nocebo effect works. The, the mind, the mind can do wonderful things for the body. Uh, that's what I, that's what I believe. Like, and, uh, if you set your mind to something, uh, th that's way more powerful than people believe, uh, so that's that's my sort of holistic approach, and then the rest right. is skepticism. Uh, I mean, that who knows? I mean, yeah, maybe maybe it's the placebo effect in order. But when you come out to Southern California for Pacific, Pacific Bitcoin, I'm going to get you feeling good. So whether it's your mind playing tricks on yeah, you, looking. or whether <laughs> you're, whether your your back's feeling nice looking. for the first time in a long time, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, infrared pill you. L looking forward to that <laughs> a lot, but I I think. Finland is a more natural environment for saunas than Southern California, for sure. You got it. We'll, we'll take that one. It's all good. We'll, we'll come to California and see you there, but then you have to come to Finland and uh, have, a, have a nice proper yeah, Finnish sauna. And, and yeah, Finnish yes. sauna. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And in the Finnish sauna, you also have to get shit-faced, which is another health treatment that is uh, traditionally Finnish, right? You is do, that right? really? Yeah. Is that? I, I would <laughs> never think to drink alcohol and then go on. To me, that sounds like that would be... That'd be awful. Is that really part of the tradition? It's semi-mandatory, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With a focus on man. Man oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, my wife gets into it too, so, you know. <laughs> but, uh, hey, you, you've, you've walked into a little den of us jokers uh, picking nits here. But, uh, no, <laughs> man, you, what you were saying, Brian, about kind of like what, what you do with the, with the marketing kind of thing. Like, I'm, I'm interested in how you, you take that into uh, Bitcoin in general. Like, Bitcoin, I, I think, really does have a marketing problem generally. And what's your take on that? Because I, I, there's, there's so many angles to it. It's like, does Bitcoin have a scaling problem? Does Bitcoin have a problem with being too toxic? All of these sorts of image things. What's your take on it? And, and how are you trying to address all of the issues with, within Bitcoin's image, I guess, uh, to, so to say? Yeah, yeah go. <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I think it's just, it comes down to, to sales 101. And I think that a lot of Bitcoin purists hate saying, well, we don't need salespeople in Bitcoin. Well, that was, everybody made fun of me the first day of, of the Miami conference because I was dressed up in a suit and Mateo told me I looked like I was an insurance salesman. So, so maybe I'm the guy that doesn't mind looking like the, the salesy person. But I think that, that 101 of sales is, is asking questions and figuring out where people are. So I've been able to do. Uh, booths at freedom rallies here in Southern California. I mean, we're, we live in California. So we're, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of, uh, people that are tyranny minded. They love, they love good old Gavin Newsom, but we have a, we have pockets of people that love liberty. And for some reason, those people just don't know about Bitcoin yet. It's crazy to me that I, I assume when I go to one of these liberty rallies and I set up a Bitcoin table and I'm just like, here's some information on Bitcoin. I figure people are going to come up and love me, but everybody comes up and they're like, 
this is the mark of the beast. This is the one world currency of revelation. I mean, it is, it is crazy. And I'm a Christian guy. I like, I, I, I can speak the language, but it's crazy to me that this is the reaction people have to it. Anyways. So it's the, the, the image that we have in the Bitcoin space, it, it changes from group to group. When I go and talk to these, these liberty minded people, they, they want to know why Bitcoin has value. And so me explaining the Austrian economic answer of, of market value and marginal utility value, like yeah. that just falls on deaf ears to them. And Subje so subjective theory subje about it. <laughs> subjective. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Excuse me. Um, so subjective value, it's like that, that just falls on deaf ears. And so I need to talk about immutability and censorship resistance, right? I immediately will go to, well, we have to talk about the Canadian trucker rally. Like they don't care about scarcity. Like that group doesn't care about scarcity. But when I'm talking to my, my stepfather, that's a gold bug, uh, then I need to talk about scarcity, right? So I think that that's, I think Bitcoiners just need to be willing and ready to be flexible in, in tailoring what we say. There's, there's so many components to Bitcoin that I think get lost on the general population. Um, we geek out on it. We think that, man, there's, there's, there's so many things that Bitcoin solves. There's so many really interesting facets to it. The, the, the difficulty adjustment of Bitcoin mining is, wow, that's such a cool innovation that like, if you study Bitcoin mining, it's fascinating, but, but my mom doesn't want to hear about that. And so how do I appeal to my mom or how do I appeal again, back to talking to the altcoiners? Like, how do we appeal to the altcoin community when this 21 year old kid got into to Doge because he could buy a million Dogecoin for 12 bucks. Like, how do you, how do you talk to those people? And so I think being able to tailor a Bitcoin message for each of those people is really important. So that's kind of how I wrote the book. That's a Bitcoin evangelism is, is here's, here's different uh, ways to sharpen your argument for the Dogecoin guy. And that's as easy as telling them about sats. I was pretty shocked at the Bitcoin Miami conference about how many crypto people came up. And uh, they said, oh, how much is your book? And I said, oh, 75,000 sats. And they go, what's a sat? And I said, oh, that, a sat is a piece of a Bitcoin. And here they are at the biggest Bitcoin conference in the world, and they haven't heard of a sat. And guess what? I asked this guy, I said, what do you do? He goes, I work, I work for an exchange. <laughs> and a guy that works for an exchange, he actually makes his living in this space somehow, didn't understand what a sat was. And so the, the person that wants a lot of something Sats appeal to them in, in, in a major way. So I, I think this fundamentally comes down to the argument of, the, I know there's, there's Bitcoin purists that, that say, we, we don't need those type of people in the space, right? We don't, we don't need the guy that just wants a lot of something. If he wants a million doge, let him have his doge and he can be on his merry way. Um, and so I, I, I'm of the belief that I do want those people in the space. I want them to, to touch some Bitcoin. I want them to touch sats because I think that that's a gateway drug into them fully understanding the, the rest of the space. Um, and so I think having an argument or questions prepared for those type of people, a line of reasoning, a logos that appeals to those type of people um, is, is really important. And, and that's, again, that's the message of my book. And that's, it's, it breaks those different, those different, uh, uh, you know, sections down based on different groups of people you might interact with. You know what, Brian, I, I kind of want to back you up a little bit here on this one point too, because, uh, I, it's not true that someone can get into crypto and actually understand Bitcoin because my my own journey with it, I I played around with Ethereum for a little bit in 2017 because it's what was going around my office. I don't know why my office thought Ethereum was cool, but whatever. Like it's it's what I heard about, and it crashed, and I forgot about it, and then crypto is going up 
back in 2021, whatever. So, so I check on my Coinbase account and oh my goodness, my $30 of Ethereum is a lot more money. And, and I start playing around with it and I get on like Reddit and, and a bunch of other places, not Twitter though. Twitter, nah, that's probably good actually at that time. I would have gotten into crypto Twitter, not Bitcoin Twitter. But I got into Reddit and I went into the cryptocurrency subreddit. And honestly, the only reason that I went into Bitcoin at all was because I kept on seeing people say, okay, you got to have a little bit of Bitcoin because that's kind of the safe thing. You got to have that in your portfolio, whatever. I did, I did all the things that a, a new crypto person should do, have a balanced portfolio, whatever it is. And the, and the thing about it was I, like, I thought I was doing that in a, in a good way. And I, I had no idea what Bitcoin was, any idea about it. And the, the, the thing was, of course, I, I went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole properly. I found proper people that were talking about it in a good way. But it, it took that to get me from baseline crypto to Bitcoin. Mm. And I mean, now I'm a balls deep toxic maxi, like, you know, don't get me wrong. But, but the, the, the thing here is that like, I, it really, you, you can be super ignorant about Bitcoin and be, and still be into crypto otherwise, mm. and even be into having some Bitcoin in your portfolio just because it's the so-called blue chip or something. So yeah, mm. I, I, I think, it, I think it is important to, to, try yeah. and bridge that gap to the to the crypto people. Yeah, uh, well, w just to clarify what I was saying before, I think the creators of the shit coins all know about Bitcoin, not not the people buying them. That's sure. that's uh, most people buying them have no clue. Like <laughs> uh, they wouldn't be buying them if they had. It's like like uh, socialists who, who, who understood economics wouldn't be socialists. It's about the same thing, right? You, <laughs> you just did. Knut, I, I have a question for you. I brought this up the other night and uh, it was, yeah, I just, I just think it's, it's a fascinating thought experiment for me. It's like, I mean, me trying to really learn. So if we go back to, to, to January of 2009, would you consider Bitcoin a shit coin at that point? Was, was, was there, was there certain markers that, or is there a certain point where, where Bitcoin maybe was a shit coin and it no longer is, or how, how would you define that? Yeah. I, I wasn't aware of Bitcoin in 2009, so so I have no like personal story with that. But, but when I discovered Bitcoin, I was skeptic. And then I took a course ab about digital currencies and the pl plural form. And I got to understand like the basics of the elliptic curve cryptography and all of this and the maths behind it. And I've uh, studied quite a lot of maths in my life, so, so I understand stuff like that fairly, fairly easily. But what always puzzled me, though, was like, uh, if there's, if the thing is that the, the, if the value proposition has something to do with this thing being finite, how then can we create it? How, how could copies of it ever work then? Because all of it is, is a number on a computer. So making copies of that, it's just it's like you can make infinite copies. It's like the root, the regression there. I, I, I never, I never bought that that narrative. So, but 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 then again, I was still skeptic towards Bitcoin, be, be, because to me, like either I always thought either Bitcoin work, either Bitcoin works or none of it works. <laughs> uh, so, and I'm sort of still there because there's there's a small chance that Bitcoin, for some odd reason that I can't foresee, will just break down and not function anymore. But if that happens, I'm still happy because I have this fantastic network of people 
uh, honest people around the world that I, that I, I know people, the best people on every continent at this point. But, uh, so, so it was all worth it anyway. Having, having said that though, the, the thing that really convinced me about Bitcoin being sufficiently decentralized to actually pull off rules without rulers was during the, the, when the SegWit2x hard fork was denied. Because for, for those of you that don't know, there's a quite a good book called The Block Size Wars about this. Uh, I do not agree with that description of events fully, but I say I agree with like 80% of the description of what happened in that book. Uh, that The guy who wrote it is still sort of trying to keep this that what we did might have been wrong and what the other side might have had some merit to it. I view it slightly differently because so there was an upgrade to Bitcoin called segregated witness, which all the users wanted because that would enable the lightning network in the future and, and stuff like that. So everyone sort of wanted that except for a few, well, very wealthy players who, uh, <laughs> who, um, could make more money from, from mining if, if SegWit wasn't there <laughs> to, to give the short version. Yeah. There was something called ASIC boost, which SegWit would sort of deny. And th there's debates of whether that was ever used or not. And I'm not the most technical person. So I don't, I wouldn't want to go too deep into that. But then, uh, there was a big, uh, cabal of the biggest, biggest companies in Bitcoin at the time, uh, gathering in New York, uh, to form an agreement on the, the, the roadmap for the future, what, what to do. And they decided that we're, we're first going to, to implement SegWit and then increase the block size by a hundred percent. Uh, so the second hard fork was called, or, or SegWit itself was not a hard fork. It was a soft fork, but then there was a proposed, so a hard fork called SegWit 2X, which would uh, increase the block size, uh, double the block size, uh, because fees were getting high in 2017. Also, uh, similar to what's happening now. And uh, it's kind of fascinating how the narratives from 2017 seem to repeat themselves now. This, you know, documents on the blockchain and all, all this stuff that was going on back then too. And it was proven wrong and, you know, discard that and move on. So, so, uh, but anyway, um, the, the 2x hard fork never happened because the users didn't want it. All the nodes signaled there, or a sufficient amount of nodes signaled that they didn't want this upgrade. So after a while, the, the miners who had like, they were sitting on like 99% of the wealth in Bitcoin, uh, at least the fiat wealth. Uh, and, and they, they still had to bow down to whatever the users wanted. Because they knew if they if they wouldn't do what the the node runners told them to to do, they would have uh, they would have lost their business completely because Bitcoin would have failed at that point. So so the the hard fork never happened, which to me was was proof enough that that uh, the um, the the users were actually in control, or or rather the everyone in the network was in control, and it, it was resistance resistant to change in in that crucial way that was needed because what what the 2x hard fork would have done is that it would have set a precedent for uh hard forks like that happening over and over again in the future 
So then they could have just doubled the block size and doubled it and doubled it and doubled it, which in the long run leads to people not not being able to afford to run their own nodes. And when people do, do not afford to run their own nodes because they're, they need these giant hard drives, uh, which are costly, uh, then Bitcoin is not decentralized anymore. And then, uh, then there, a, a small elite forms that can make decisions for everyone else. Uh, so it becomes m- much more vulnerable to attacks. So, so that's the denial of Segwit2x was when Bitcoin when I discovered Bitcoins, because I, I think all of this is a personal journey. Hyper-Bitcoinization is a personal thing. The discovery of Bitcoin is a, is a personal thing. It wasn't created by Satoshi. It emerged from the community that was a product of Satoshi's actions, but also of other people's actions. And the white paper is just a tiny part of Bitcoin's history and how it emerges from smaller parts and in, into becoming this bigger thing. Um, yeah, so, so that's the way I view it. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's the story of how I got, how I got to a point in the rabbit hole where I couldn't climb up of it, <laughs> out of it again. Uh, the Segwit 2X hard fork failing. It's, yeah, it's fascinating how something failing could could be so compelling. But yeah, I, I agree that 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 seemed like a pretty a pretty uh, substantial moment in the history of Bitcoin. And yeah, probably if you had to point to to one period of time that showed Bitcoin's resilience was was that because I think that, that it was really easy to gravitate towards the Segwit two X for a lot of people, which you know ended up being Bitcoin Cash <laughs> because that that there yeah. there are their arguments that. Anybody that had a kind of a fiat mindset would have gravitated towards that, right? Faster, faster transactions and, you know, yeah, more profitability. And, you know, that all the, all the arguments they were making were, were, were sounded very compelling. If you had a, uh, a, a short time horizon or, or a high time preference, um, the, the, the node operators through that process really kind of took the, the long view. And like you said, said, we're going to keep the block size, the block size smaller so that we can continue to run these nodes. So that people don't have to outsource these to Amazon Web Services or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I replied to a, a uh, clip of Eric Weinstein uh, talking about Bitcoin this morning uh, and how I disagreed with, with almost everything he said <laughs> uh, because I felt that I had to because someone was wrong on the internet, you know. <laughs> so. He said, first he said that uh, you're all here because of a white paper. I mean, uh, I'd love to have Eric Weinstein on the pod someday. I I like the guy a lot and this is nothing personal against him, but this is just a reply to his points because I think I have a different perspective. He said that we're we're all here because of a white paper, which I don't think is true. Like the white paper is only a a tiny part of of Bitcoin's history, as I said. Mm. And uh, then then he said... uh, uh, we, we need to stop pretending that Bitcoin is perfect. And what he misses there is that Bitcoin never needed to be perfect. It just needed to be good enough to last forever, which is one of my mm. favorite Tomer Strawlight quotes. Uh, so that's the thing. Uh, it, you, you reach this point where it's good enough and then that lasts forever. And that's the point. It mm. doesn't change. Like it ossifies. Uh, 
So and and then he said that we still need to innovate. Innovation is uh, crucial to this surviving, and it's not. Uh, lack of innovation is, in a way, resistance mm. to change is way more important than innovation. We can innovate innovate on layers on top of it, and we can, but we want the base layer to stay as static as absolutely possible. Mm. So so, uh, and then he says in order to to uh, for people to have uh, to provide societal freedom and not only personal freedom. And I think that's oxymoronic because I think society is made out of people and personal freedom is like, you can't have societal freedoms without personal freedoms. It always starts with the individual. I'm an anarchist or a consensualist. So, so there is no societal freedom without individual freedoms first. Yeah. And, and then yeah, he but- says like, uh, 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 claims that Bitcoin is, uh, you know, if people know you have Bitcoin, they can come home and, and do the $5 or $20 wrench attack and, and, and threaten you and take all your stuff. But what he misses there, uh, this sounds like an attack on Eric, but it isn't. It's really just replying to these points because I think there's, there's a lot of confusion here. The, the thing is, you're being attacked right now with a, with a very cheap wrench at all times because someone is allowed to run a money printer mm-hmm. and all further on top of that you you need to pay taxes otherwise you go to jail so this is already happening fiat has that problem with bitcoin bitcoin makes violence way less profitable mm-hmm. because when you cannot know when uh, how much another person has or and you cannot take it uh, by force very easily because the person can give up a fraction of their bitcoin and not tell you about the rest yeah the, the the better choice for you as the attacker is to just provide something of value to the person and get something of value back. So so it it moves the shelling point of violence in that in that sense. <laughs> and fiat does not. Fiat does the opposite. It's it's extremely easy to take stuff from people in fiat, especially if they have credit cards and debit cards tracking every single payment they do. Then a centralized authority has all the information. Uh, ab- about all of your financial transactions, so they, they they can and are being violent to you and stealing your stuff all the time. So you're not you're not living in peace. You're you're living in a in a perpetual war mm-hmm. that the government wages against you. You're yeah. being violated against every single microsecond because someone has a micro, uh, a money printer. That's yeah. the main reason. And that's the problem that Bitcoin solves. So yeah, just yeah. wanted to rant well, there for one. Their 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 violence doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to last forever, right? And exactly. That's what, and that's what they've done. Uh-huh. They've figured Too out a shade. form of violence. Yeah, that, that that's just perpetual and it's below the surface and it's yeah. constantly simmering. Uh, and below the, the belt. Below, <laughs> right in the nads. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, to your point, I think this is one of the most compelling things that, yeah, what I, I find that this is a more interesting talking point for the the gold bug or the fiat minded person that maybe is a little bit wealthier. They said, well, yeah, $5 wrench attack. I like that you've added the inflation into the wrench attacks and now it's $20. Um, but, but yeah, they say, well, if somebody puts a gun to my head, all my, they know that all of my Bitcoin could just be on, you know, my, my seed signer somewhere. I said, yeah, you know, I'll bring up the points like you said. Well, of course you need to have your, your, your dummy one, right? You need to have your one that has a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin or what, you know, has, has two, two million Satoshis on it. You give that one over. So obviously there's, there's, there's things that you can put into your, your, your protection plan, but they need to understand that it, 
doesn't make sense to rob somebody for Bitcoin in the same way that it would make sense if you have a safe in your house with $100,000 of fiat. Uh, that, that actually could be a very lucrative, lucrative theft, right? They're actually incentivized to kill me because as soon as they pull the trigger on that gun, they have an unlimited amount of time to search through my property or search through my residence to find that safe that's under the floorboards. They will, given enough time, they will eventually find that safe and they'll be able to extract that value. But if they have a gun to my head and I never gave them my seed phrase, then they've automatically lost the ability to access my funds. So them pulling the trigger disqualifies them from being able to perform that theft in the same way that it actually frees them to roam my property to find my funds in, in a fiat sense or in a gold sense. If I have a stash of gold in my house, it's the same thing. And so uh, Bitcoin has this built-in protection that I'm the, as soon as you blow my brains out, my brains were the only thing that, that, that had access to those coins. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, all of the Bitcoins are in someone's head. It's all about keeping a secret. Like the seed phrase, if you broadcasted the seed phrase, put it on TV or at the billboard somewhere, the Bitcoin would disappear pretty quickly because someone would figure it out. But to even know that a seed phrase is a seed phrase, you can hide them in a poem, for instance, or like there, there's such a, we've just begun to scratch the surface of how to do Bitcoin security because there's, there's so many ways of keeping a secret. And that's all it is. It's all about just keeping a secret. And you can keep one secret, you can keep many secrets, but at the end of the day, all Bitcoins reside within a person's head uh, or a couple of person's head, a couple of people's heads. Right. Uh, so, so that's all it is. And that's, that's what makes it so much more resilient to violence than physical things, because mm -hmm. physical things are physical. <laughs> this is not physical. This is in your brain. It's a yes. different thing. It's in the intellectual realm, not in the realm mm -hmm. of physical mm -hmm. violence. Right. And everybody has intellect where not everybody has physical strength or physical means to protect themselves. So it's, it's literally the most equalizing type of, of, of property that you can have because everybody has the ability to secure that. It's the only, I believe you've said this before. It's the only true property, right? That they could ever exist because they can't be taken by physical force. Um, and, and, and Luke, to your, to your earlier question about, uh, marketing, I think, <laughs> I think that one of the things that, um, I found was a, was an early, um, boost in the shot uh, or, uh, you know, boost in the arm of, of my book sales that kind of got, when I was starting to do my book tour, people were, were fascinated by my book. They never heard my name before. And so, you know, how, how am I going to sell a book to people if they don't know who I am or they don't know my background? So what I did was I actually hid a seed phrase in the early copies of my book. And I said that here, this is meant to be a lesson. There's, there's 12 words hidden throughout the book. And the first person that finds it wins 5 million sats. And so I want people to understand that it, yes, it, Bitcoin is about keeping a secret. You can even be kind of loose with that secret. I can try to give that secret out to the world, but unless you, like here, I promise you, those 12 words are in this book, but unless you know how to find them, it's still a secret. And so even by putting that out publicly, like you said, you could hide it in a poem. I hid it in my book. My 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 daughter, she uh, she has this uh, fun way of of her, her seed phrase is written down. I, I won't tell you the exact method methodology, of course, but she, she wrote a, uh, a poem in crayon that she keeps in her safe and will say every, every fifth word is her seed phrase. And it just looks like a child's poem written in crayon, but it's, it's all of her, you know, it's her, you know, 50,000 sats she owns or whatever it is. And it's, it's her way of securing that. And it's so fun to talk to children about 
securing a seed phrase and, and, and just here, here, this is why it matters. It's a secret. This is something that you can keep and you don't have to tell mom and dad about it. Um, she came up with this own interesting way of securing her seed phrase, uh, that, that I, that I wouldn't have thought of. Um, and so she, she even told me, she goes, yeah, if somebody were to, to break into my safe, if my brother was to break into my safe, he would see this and he would just think it was a story that I wrote down or it was a poem that I wrote down. He wouldn't even know that it was my seed phrase, you know, th- those types of things. So it's a, uh, it's very fascinating talking to children and see how when they, when they start to grasp Bitcoin, what are the, the innovations in Bitcoin aren't, like you said, don't need to happen at the base layer. They need to happen at the intellectual layer that our children are going to have more yeah, sophisticated the social layers. Layer. The social layer, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, yeah. In a way, it's safer to keep the seed phrase out of the safe than in the safe, because if, right. if there's a safe, so that implies that there's something valuable in the safe. If if the if it's just a poem on a uh, in in some notebook somewhere, then no one no one will ever know. Like they don't even know what they're looking for. Yep. So so that's the thing. And I just realized I can make a lot of people do a lot of stupid stuff by claiming that there's 12 words hidden in each and every one of my books. And I stored about a hundred Bitcoins in each. Yeah. <laughs> there may or may not be like <laughs> just uh, an asterisk. There might be. The yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. not. Don't yes. believe him. <laughs> <laughs> so good one, Brian. Yeah. Has anyone found, uh, I guess no one has found them yet. Somebody found it. It took about no, six no, months. They did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. I mean, it's pretty right. complicated too. Um, it was a it was a woman from the, the that I met at the Beef Initiative. She she oh, nice. found it, and yeah, it was uh it was good. So, excellent, excellent. Did you hear about Michael Dunworth, uh, the Peter Dunworth's brother, uh, my Australian friends? Uh, he no. Michael sent a a Bitcoin to the future to the year two thousand one hundred forty. Uh, uh, mm. time locked it. And oh, okay. the, the key is, is on the internet for everyone to see. So anyone who claims that in 2140 gets an mm. entire Bitcoin worth wow. like a couple of cities uh, oh uh, at gosh. that point. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, it is, right? We get, and the, the, the most amazing part of it is that you can actually do that. You, should, you can yeah. just tell the, the, tell the network that these, this Bitcoin here, this here Bitcoin cannot be unlocked and sent to some other address until this block height. It's amazing. And, and yeah. then you protect them from even yourself. So a really good point. I yeah. don't trust my kids, but I'm going to pass this on to my grandkids. So I'm going to time. Exactly. Kids, exactly. So. Yeah. 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 And that's possible right now. And people ought to be doing it, but they are, uh, and some are, but far too few. Hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I didn't know that. Actually. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah. The show is also sponsored by BitcoinBook.shop, the Bitcoin-only bookstore by Consensus Network. Consensus specializes in translations of Bitcoin books and also publishes original titles in English and many other languages. Check out BitcoinBook.shop for all your Bitcoin book needs. Consensus is always looking for new contributors, whether you have a book you want to publish, you want to help translate books into your native language, or you have some other way you want to get involved. So if you want to help spread the Bitcoin message, reach out to Consensus Network by Twitter or email. Details are in the show notes. What else do we have, Luke? Um, it's a good time to wrap up, maybe? Yeah, honestly, I think, I think we've had a good combo. So yeah. yeah, thanks, Brian. Yeah, loved it. Can you tell thanks, our guys. listeners where to find you and uh, maybe any last words you have about Orange Pill App? 
Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for for having me on. This was just fun. Like if there was no recording, I would just love to hang with you guys and chat. So, um, you know, this is yeah, my pleasure. As far as reaching out to me, touch base with me on the Orange Pill app. Um, I'm much more responsive on the Orange Pill app just because I, I know it's Bitcoiners. Um, I try to get back to everybody on Twitter, so I'll do my best to get back to people on Twitter. And, uh, you know, we, we love interacting with the social layer of Bitcoin. So, um, that, that's really important. Yeah. There we go. Canute always, always doing a nice show for it. Um, but I think it is important. I mean, that's my, my one last pitch to sign off with is that we can all do something in Bitcoin today to, to help build, to lower our time preference. Your time preference will just naturally lower. If you're trying to do something that's of material value. So whether that's hosting a meetup, whether that's going to, to, to Prague, whether that's doing something that's, you know, being consensus network and selling books, like all, all of these things, it, it gets you focused on, okay, I can do something. We, Cause every human wants to do something here and now, right? Like we have a, we have a high time preference with our day. What, what's my checklist for today? That's fine. Like on productive things, we should have a, a, a high time preference because if I need to make this hamburger, I can't wait forever for the hamburger to be made. So we need to build today. Those are the things we can have high time preference on. But what is the focus in the long term? Are we building something that's going to last till 2140 so I can unlock Michael Dunworth's Bitcoin, which I, which I for sure am now going to strive to live to be 170 years old just so that I can get access to a few cities worth of Bitcoin. Um, but what we, what we pitch with Orange Pill app is if you don't have an idea for how you want to build in Bitcoin, help build the social layer, help build the social layer of Bitcoin by plugging in. Um, if you're the first Bitcoiner that you know of in your area, because you live in a remote area, then, then plug into the network and be that first node in that local community. Because what happens is every network needs to start with a node somewhere and then the network will build out around you. So be willing to be that first person. Or if you're in an area that's high density already and you have 50 Bitcoiners that are on Orange Pill app near you, then start interacting with those people. Go grab coffee, create an event in your area and, and, and host a meetup. Or, you know, there's, there's Bitcoin games that you can play now. You can, you know, <laughs> buy one of these games and, and host a game night or do, you know, a Monopoly party or a poker party or whatever and just get together with Bitcoiners and, and, and do those things. Um, and so that, that's my pitch to people is find a way to, uh, contribute to and build in Bitcoin today. Um, because we'll have a, a brighter orange future tomorrow. Um, and, uh, yeah, orange pill app. If you go to the orange pill app.com, you can sign up. You can pay in Bitcoin if you want. You can sign up through the app, app store and pay through the app store. If you prefer the, the fiat method, that's, you know, fine as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, look forward to later this year. We'll have our orange pages, our, our merchant section of the Orangeville app where you can find local Bitcoin merchants, um, which we are very excited about as well, because I think that that's going to contribute to hyper Bitcoinization um, of, of being able to just pragmatically orange fill merchants. So, um, and as far as my book, it's available on Amazon. It's called Bitcoin Evangelism. Uh, feel free to, to check it out. Um, it's on Audible, all of those places as well. So thank you guys. I, I really appreciate it. Luke and Canute, you guys are, are awesome. And you guys are an inspiration. You guys are really uh, pushing the intellectual layer of Bitcoin. And uh, I always find it challenging and fun. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, everyone everyone thinks they need to be a developer to contribute to Bitcoin, but the opposite is true. Everyone's a fucking developer in this space. We need the division of labor. We need all sorts of other skills. So uh, yeah, go make yourself useful. And thanks so much for coming on, um, Brian. Looking forward to the next spaces and the next uh, OPA meeting, whenever that is. After Prague, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. I hope. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll fill you guys in on this orange pilling Congress thing. That should, we should have lots of fun content to provide. Uh, yes. Hopefully some fun reactions from politicians on Capitol Hill. Yeah, that, that'll be fun. Awesome. All right. Take care, Brian. What did you think of that episode with Brian? It was great to hear about all the work he's doing with Orange Pill app, and we're really excited about some of the new features they have rolling out soon. Check out Orange Pill app if you haven't already. It's available on iOS and Android. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can send us a boostagram on Fountain, leave us a comment on YouTube, or get in touch on Noster or Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the Consensus Network channel. Our show sponsors are Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill app, and BitcoinBook.shop. Use code FOOTPRINT at BitcoinBook.shop for 10% off your purchase. That's all for now. See you next time, and thanks for listening.